Hey everyone, it's episode 67 with Bob Berg. Welcome to the Know, Like, and Trust show with Brittany Gardner, the podcast where we explore the world of personal branding and how to build your know, like, and trust factor up for ultimate business success. And now here's your host, Brittany Gardner. All right, everyone, this is something that I've been excited about for a while now, because three and a half years ago, I named this podcast The No Like and Trust Show. I did that because I wanted a title that really embodied everything I believe about personal branding and why it is the key to your success. Now, when I chose that name, I knew it came from a quote from a book written by Bob Berg. The quote goes like this, All things being equal, people are more likely to do business with and refer those that they know, like, and trust. That right there tells you so much about what we're going to be sharing in this interview. But first, I want to tell you that Bob is an incredibly successful man, and I'd never reached out to him to be on the show, probably a little bit of imposter syndrome or thinking he wouldn't have time for me and I didn't want to be one of those people who looks like a taker rather than a a giver. And we're going to be talking about that in the interview as well. Bob Berg is a sought after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences, sharing the platform with everyone from today's business leaders and broadcast personalities to even a former US president. He's the author of a number of books on sales, marketing and influence with total book sales well over a million copies. His book, The Go-Giver, co-authored with John David Mann itself, has sold over 925,000 copies and it's in 28 languages. His latest book with John is a parable in the Go-Giver series called The Go-Giver Influencer. He's an advocate, supporter, and defender of the free enterprise system, woohoo, believing that the amount of money one makes is directly proportional to how many people they serve. He is also an unapologetic animal fanatic and is a past member of the board of directors of Furry Friends Adoption Clinic and Ranch in his hometown of Jupiter, Florida. Bob, thank you so much for coming on the Know, Like, and Trust show. This is kind of one of those weird moments because as far as I know, you are the one that coined that phrase. <laughs> well, yeah. So the, and it's great to be with you, Brittany. It depends what part of it. And, and a lot of times the, the quote itself is either used incomplete by people or sort of out of context. So let me go through the whole quote and tell you the parts that are mine and where I got it and and the parts that I can't really take credit for. Sounds good. So the full quote is, all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. Now, I have absolutely no doubt about it that like and and trust or even no like and trust have probably been around for a long time. I'm sure I didn't come up with that, but here's basically what I did add and why I added it. First, that all things being equal, because that's a very important part. People often say, well, Bob Berg says people want to do business or will do business with people they know, like, and trust. Well, not always. It depends. So I said all things being equal And now someone might say, well, but nothing's ever totally equal. Well, they're right. I mean, it it generally isn't totally equal, but it can be close enough, right? So to give an example, someone might prefer doing business with someone, let's say buying from someone who, again, they know, like, and trust. Of course, why, why wouldn't you? All things being equal. But sometimes things aren't close enough to being equal. 
to warrant that. Let's say somebody needs you know, X amount of widgets and they need it within the next 10 days. Well, the, the people they do business with because they know, like, and trust, they have run out basically and could not have any, you know, enough widgets to them near enough for the next 30 days. But they have a deadline of 10 days and so they shop around and they find someone who can get the widgets to them and they don't not trust the other person or not necessarily like them, but certainly they don't have a relationship with them like they do with that first person. But things aren't close enough to even being equal because the fact is they need these widgets and they need X amount of them in the next 10 days. And that's, you know what I'm saying? Now, at the same time, I go back to when I was a little kid growing up in Massachusetts and we had a, a dentist in the town where I, where I was raised for the first four years. His name was Dr. Von Salides. And so we went to Dr. Von Salides. He was a great man, a great dentist. He and, and uh, Irma, his associate, just wonderful people. So when I was almost five, we moved about mm, 45, 50 minutes away. Now, things weren't equal because he wasn't near where we were, but we loved him so much that it was close enough to equal that we made the 45 to 50 minute trip twice a year. As I was growing up, we always did that, okay? So it was close, it wasn't equal, but it was close enough to equal, and we had so much no love and trust for them that we did it anyway. Now, eventually I moved out of state, okay? Now, as much as I love Dr. V and Irma, things weren't close enough to be equal for me to, you know, twice a year, make flight arrangements, drive down to the airport, wait at the airport, fly up to Boston, rent a car or get a cab, go through, you know, the, the tunnel and all the traffic. No, it just, it wasn't close. So I found a dentist down here. Okay, so all things being equal or close enough to equal, absolutely, people will do business with and refer business to those people that they know, like, and trust. I also, the all things being equal part, which again, I consider a huge part of this, I got that phrase actually from my dad, from an experience that he had. When he got out of World War II, he went to Miami Beach and he ended up managing the famous Fifth Street uh, fight gym that Angelo and Chris Dundee had. Angelo would eventually become the trainer for Muhammad Ali and Sugar Ray Leonard and many others. But back then it was, it was still the big gym in the area, but, um, but you know, dad first worked for, well, he did work for them and, and was managing the gym. Well, Angelo used to have a saying that all things being equal, and you know, there's different weights in, in, in boxing. And Angelo used to say, all things being equal, a good big man will always beat a good small man. And by the way, nowadays it would be men or women, women, of course, because men and women both box. But back then, you know, 60 years ago or 70, whatever it was years ago, that wasn't the case. So please excuse the any reference. So it was all things being equal, a good big man. In other words, if you had a person 200 pounds and the other fighter was 150 pounds, they were both just as fast. They were both just as experienced. They were both just as good. Well, the good big man was going to have to win because the punch was going to be harder. You know, he was going to hit harder. You know what I'm saying? So that's where the, where the, you know, all things being equal. Uh, and then people will do business with, obviously, and refer business to, because my teaching had always been a big part of it, was always the referral aspect, those people they know, like, and trust. So there's more to it than what a lot of people kind of think it is these days. But nonetheless, you know, I feel honored that, you know, people do, uh, 
refer to that and, and someone like yourself does. And it, it honors me to know that. I spent so much time when I first launched this podcast three years ago, I spent so much time coming up with a title. I didn't want it to be my name for various reasons, but I wanted it to really evoke the idea that you can actively put a feeling about yourself out there that you can obviously use strategically, but also contains a lot of you in the process, which is why I, I ended up falling on this phrase. But I did do research into your full quote. I've actually read the first book in which you wrote it. I've read a couple of your other books since then, of course. And I love how you include just the idea of value. Obviously, it's it's one of your five laws and all of that and the go-giver. But so much of what I see online today is people who think that they're providing value, but there's a tie in there. You know, they're they're putting something out there with the expectation, not just in the sense of the law of receptivity as you talk about it, but with the expectation that it's going to directly lead to something back for them. And I love the way in which you describe the law of value and how it leads to influence and all of that stuff. So let's talk about influence a little bit because it's a big word today. You hear about, you know, Instagram influencers, you hear about celebrity influencers and all this pay to play that's involved in that field. And I think that really goes in a different direction from the way that you talk about it. So what's the best way in your opinion to create influence and build yourself in the process? Sure. As we talk about that, because it's a, a fantastic question, let's go back one moment and just look at what you said. You made a great point about people kind of thinking they're providing value, but it kind of comes with a, a condition or you know implied or otherwise. And there's another thing people do that kind of trips them up when it comes to value and to doing what they think is giving value. So remembering that there's a big difference between price and value in which price is a dollar figure right it's the the dollar amount the, the and so forth value by definition is the relative worth or desirability of a thing of something so in other words what is it about this thing this product service concept idea what have you that brings so much worth or value to another person that they will willingly uh, exchange something for it, uh, money, time, energy, you know, what, what have you. Okay. So, but there's a, a big part in there that's so important to understand where we say it's the relative worth or desirability. In other words, value is always in the eyes of the beholder. It's not what we think is of value about what we're offering, whether it's a product or service, a special report, a video, an introduction, some knowledge, or what have you. It's what they feel, what they believe is of value. And so I think a lot of times people, you know, they'll say, oh, but I've been giving all this value. Well, maybe they're giving value that, or, or they're giving something that they feel is of value, but that doesn't mean the other person sees it that way. So in that case, the focus is really on yourself, on themselves, as opposed to on that other person. So this ties in then to what you're talking about when it comes to influence, because on a very basic level, okay, influence, because I want to look at influence on two levels. The, the first one, the, the very basic one, by definition, influence can be defined as the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. 
that's what an internet influencer is supposed to do, right? Have someone move someone to buying a certain thing. And by the way, of course, we always had influencer marketing well before the internet when you'd see a celebrity on TV selling aspirin. You know, do we really believe they're qualified to talk about the kind of aspirin? <laughs> of course not, but we like them. They're a celebrity who we admire either on TV or the movies or in sports or, or what have you. But the idea is to move someone to action, to do something. So that's influence on a basic level, the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action. Now, that is the definition, but I don't believe it's the essence of influence. We would say that the essence of influence is pull, pull as opposed to push, as in the question, how far can you push a rope? And the answer is not very, at least not very fast or very effectively, which is why great influencers don't push. You know, you never hear people saying, wow, that Tom or that Mary, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with people, right? She sure is pushy. Wow, we just left. No, we'd say she has a lot of pull. That's what influence is. It's an attraction. Great influencers attract people to themselves and to their ideas and actually to themselves first and only then their ideas. And they do this again, not through pushing them, not through pushing their ideas on others or being pushy, but again, through that gentle pull, through that, that influence. So the question then becomes, well, how do you do that? Right? So how do you utilize this pull? How does this pull manifest itself? And I think that goes back to just understanding human nature. And I, I, one of the things I loved in Dale Carnegie's classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People, what I believe was the underlying premise of that book was where he wrote, ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. So the great influencer understands this on a, a very deep level, and they constantly ask themselves questions to make sure their focus is correct. So in other words, a great influencer, what we call a genuine influencer, is, is going to, to ask, well, how does what I'm asking this person to do, how does it align with their goals? Uh, how does it align with their wants, their needs, their desires? How does what I want this other person to do, how does it align with their values? What problems am I helping them to solve? How am I helping to make their life better? And when we ask ourselves these questions thoughtfully and intelligently, genuinely, authentically, not as a way to manipulate another person into doing our will, but as a way of building everyone in the process, that is, you know, now we've come a lot closer to earning that person's commitment as opposed to trying to uh, depend on some type of compliance. I really like how you phrase that, earning their commitment. I mean, there's a lot of, of nuance in the words that you chose there, of course, but earning implies that you've done enough to gain that. Well, exactly. And, you know, one of my heroes and mentors, her name is Dondi Scumachi, who's a great speaker and author on leadership and, you know, consults for some of the biggest companies and teams in the world. And she has a wonderful saying that I, I just I just think is so fantastic. And, and, and that is when it comes to leadership and influence, she says, compliance will never take you where commitment can go. Ooh, that's good. Oh, yeah. It's what we call a Dondiism. <laughs> It's got some weight, man. 
I know. You mentioned that she's one of your mentors, and that was actually leading really closely into one of the other topics I was hoping that we could cover, which is how mentorship and collaboration are spoken about so much in the online entrepreneurial world, but I don't feel like people are truly embracing it in the way that maybe they did in the past before the internet was so superficially available, if you will. And I think that they're kind of shoulder topics to each other. You know, mentorship implies a closer relationship that goes both ways. So does collaboration, but in effect, they're very different. So how do you think that those play together? And where do you think someone should be looking to find quality in those areas? Yeah, so I think those two concepts, and you bring up a great point, and it's contextual in nature because somebody may be mentoring you or you may be mentoring someone who you're also collaborating with on a project or in a business, or it might be two separate things. You might have a be looking for a mentor or have a mentor in a certain area of your life and they're guiding you and they may be helping you, but it's not so much collaboration uh, as much as it is, you know, advice and teaching and and so forth. So I, I think, again, it depends on the context of it. Well, let's talk about both of them. When it comes to seeking out and finding a mentor, uh, you know, and I believe that, that we should all do that because a mentor can really be uh, of humongous value. I mean, it can cut our learning curve by years. I think these days when people seek out a mentor, and I, and I, you know, people did it back in the day when I was a young and myself, but now it's because the internet allows you to kind of access a lot more people that otherwise might not be able to be accessed, right? And so people will very quickly say, so, hey, will you be my mentor? And whether you're saying that to someone in person or online or on the phone, when you don't yet have a relationship with them, I think it comes across in a way that sort of is entitled. And only because it's not that the intent is bad, but a mentor-protege relationship is just that. It's a relationship. So when you just ask somebody who you really don't have a relationship with, hey, will you be my mentor? It's sort of like uh, asking that person, hey, will you share 30 years of your life with me, even though you hardly know me from a hole in the wall, okay? It comes across in a way that's not positive, and I don't think it's as productive. But I think you can pretty much say to anyone who you meet that, you know, I know you're very busy, so if this is something that's not appropriate or not something you'd like to do, I absolutely understand. I'm wondering if I may ask you one or two very specific questions. Now, when you do that, what you've done is a couple of things. One is you've right away let this person know there's no obligation. It's not like they owe it to you or that you think they do or that you're entitled to their wisdom, okay? You're giving them what I call the out or the back door. You're saying, you know, if this is something you're not, uh, that, that's just not, you know, that wouldn't be appropriate or, or even that you'd, you'd like to do, absolutely, and I totally understand that's fine. But then what also you're doing is you're not just making it general and or saying, can I pick your brain or anything like that. You're being very specific. May I ask you one or two very specific questions? And what that says to this person is, ah, this person's not going to waste my time. This person knows what they need to ask because most people, not yet, not all people, but that's okay. People are individuals and they, they, people are different, but most successful people, if you ask like that with humility and you imply that, you know, that you know what you need to ask and you're not going to take them, they'll usually say, sure, of course, go, you know, go ahead. Again, not everyone, but it doesn't have to be everyone. Okay. And so 
what I would do is make sure you do enough research on that person, and there's no excuse not to at this point with the internet, that you don't ask something that you could have discovered, you know, by researching them. Yeah, on any blog post or previous interview or what have you. But the questions are, are specific and that they have a, you know, and very concrete. And then what you want to do, of course, is, is and not take up any more of their time than, than need be. You know, thank them profusely at the end. Let them know you'll, you know, you'll, you look forward to applying their, their wisdom and, you know, you'll keep in touch and blah, blah, blah. Now, what I would do that very day is I would send them a handwritten personalized note of thanks, just a short, brief one. It doesn't have to be long, but not a text, not an email, a handwritten note card that you, the thank you note that you put in a, in a number 10 envelope and you hand stamp and you send that just says, you know, thank you so much again for taking time out of your day. Your, your advice was, you know, invaluable and I look forward to applying it. I will keep in touch and let you know how things are progressing. Boom. You know, now I would also suggest that you you know, discover their favorite charitable cause, which again, you can easily find online. Doesn't have to be anything big, but make a small donation to it, okay, in their name. It will get back to them, and you're not doing it to kiss up or anything, but, but just to kind of, again, communicate that, yeah, while well, I'm not in a position to give you the kind of value you're giving me, I respect the process, and I appreciate you, and want you to know how much it meant is, is really what it comes across as. Then again, you know, then you can follow up in a month or three weeks, or if you have a question, or you might be able to just email a question, or, or you might, however, and if in time, a mentor-protege relationship is supposed to develop, it will. It may or may not. It may have been a one-time conversation. You might have other people that come along and you have those. And or you might find someone that ends up being a, you know, a, a true mentor. And eventually you'll do it for others and, and so forth. So I think that's really the best way to approach that mentor-protege relationship. As far as collaboration goes, I mean, I think that's such a key to success because it's very difficult to do anything alone. There's just too much out there to, you know, to have to know and too much work to have to do. And that person who, again, uh, you know, develops those know, like, and trust relationships with people, those are the people you're going to be able to collaborate with, the people who feel that way about you. And when you think about it, there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you in others than by genuinely and authentically moving from that I focus or me focus to that other focus, looking for ways to, as, as uh, Sam, one of the mentors and the go-giver told Joe, the protege, to make your win all about the other person's win. And of course, there's nothing doormatty or, or martyrish or self-sacrificial about that. It's just as human beings, this is how we come to know, like, and trust each other. When we, uh, Simon Sinek said it in his wonderful book, Leaders Eat Last, he, uh, you know, he defined trust as a biological reaction to the belief that someone has our best interest at heart. So when you talk about, you know, finding somebody that you can reach out to and ask those, you know, few specific questions to, how does one go about doing that? Is it someone that, you know, strikes your interest, you start following them, you're like, hey, I would love to hear this person's take on this. Or is it something more than that? Is there is there a specific thing that you should be looking for in that relationship that you want to build before reaching out? 
Well, you know, I would say before reaching out, you know, you do want to find ways to, you know, bring value to that person if you can. And by the way, you know, online, that just might be complimenting them in an article they wrote or retweeting a post or, you know, it might be sending them a handwritten thank you note about something that, you know, that you read about them online or something like that. It, you know, there's, there's many ways. It really depends on the situation. But you can always reach out and ask to be able to ask them, you know, a quick question. Again, I think the big thing about it, though, is communicating the humility of not having a, uh, of there not being some obligation of them to do this. You know what I'm saying? And that you do it with a sense of, uh, hey, you know, I would really appreciate it, but absolutely, it's understandable. You're very busy. You know, it's very interesting that you're bringing that up right now. I just yesterday had a colleague who I've known for a few months online reach out. She's in the exact same field that I am in. And she did exactly the way you described like, Hey, I have some ideas that are bouncing around in my head. I need to talk to somebody who knows enough about my subjects that I don't have to do a deep dive on everything. But if you don't want to do this, it's totally okay to say no. And, and you know, it's, it's so funny because this is somebody I already look up to. I think she's putting great stuff out there. So the fact that she reached out to me, one, I was honored. Two, I was happy to help. Yeah, yeah. And we ended up exchanging value with each other. I bounced some ideas off of her. And, and it is the start of what I would consider a really great collaborative relationship. And the timing on this is just really fun. I like that. So <laughs> obviously, you're both very quality people. And you also have, uh, you know, immense knowledge of your topic. And, you know, that attracts and so, you know, and you both respect each other. And that's really where one plus one equals three. And that's, you know, that's what collaboration is all about. Very good. So before we wrap, I would just like to ask you, what is the one question that you wished more people asked you? One question that I wished more people asked, because I guess I feel as though if I really wanted people to know something, I may not wait till they ask. <laughs> I might find a way to say it, but uh but I, I don't know. It's, it's a good question. What about you? Ooh, I've never had anyone turn that around on me. Now you got me on the spot. I guess if I had to put it out right now, the thing I wish people would ask more often is what I see in them. So if someone's in a great conversation with me and we are having a really great back and forth, you know, it's not part of the conversation, right? So you can be having a great moment with somebody but you're talking about a specific subject here or a specific subject over there. And there's something that you want to say to them because you see some quality in them and you just want them to know this. And there's just not an opportunity to interject it. So sometimes I wish people would just be like, hey, this was really great. What made you be willing to take this time or, or what led you to be in this space? So yeah, that would probably be it. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, thank you. Uh, well, Bob, I just want to say thank you so much for being here. As I told you before we started the recording, I essentially named my show after something that you're known for. So to have you on here is an incredible honor, but also just for how open you are and giving. The honor is mine. Thank you so much. I appreciate all the work you're doing. I hope you join me in thanking Bob for his time on this interview, for the wisdom he provided and the, the really pointed answers he gave to each one of my questions. I was really excited about this interview. I'm thrilled with the result, but I really want to point out something that, that bears mentioning here because it's a direct 
application of some of the stratospheric laws of success that Bob and John David Mann talk about in the Go-Giver book series. That was because this interview came about a few weeks ago when I was interviewing Dove Gordon on episode 64. He mentioned casually at the end of our interview that he noted the the No Like and Trust Show name and wondered if I had gotten it from Bob Berg. And I said, yes, I'm a big fan of his work. I've read multiple books of his. And he said, well, why haven't you had him on your show? I didn't actually have a good answer to that question as it turned out. So Dove offered to connect us. He said that they were connected on Twitter, that they had spoken before in the past. And within a few hours, Bob had already responded that he'd be honored to be on the show. And here we are. I just finished interviewing. You just finished gaining insight and wisdom from it as well. And it's all because Dove put aside his needs and his self-interest for a time, offered to make this connection with zero expectation of return, made the connection. We're all here together now. And in terms of the law of receptivity, which is the fifth law of stratospheric success, do you think that maybe if I ever can do something nice for Dove, I will prioritize it above everything else? You bet I will. Because when you offer real value like that, people remember and they are more likely to do business with you and refer you in the future. Perfect application of this interview. I love that I'm able to share that story with you. And that's a great segue into telling you about next week's guest. It's Kaylin Thompson. Her business is Joy to Lead. And she tells us all about how you can take joy in leadership, break the hustle cycle of the solo entrepreneur, and make your first hire and give yourself a promotion so that you can do all of these principles that Bob and I were talking about right here. If you are looking to find out more about me, you can find me on my website, brittanygardner.com. That's B-R-I-T-N-E-Y gardner.com or on Instagram at I am Brittany Gardner. That's all for now. Catch you next week.